when we come to look at um, Jesus, we're not just confined to um, the Bible. So, um, of course, we've got the Bible. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is the New Testament which contains um, the, the very direct information about Jesus, the detailed stories about him. And when we come to the New Testament, this, this is the second half of the Bible, um, we find that it's the first four books, uh, which are known as the Gospels, um, which go through his life from, from four different uh, perspectives, from four different authors. <clears throat> uh, but, of course, the whole of the Bible um, uh, is a source of information about uh, Jesus because his um, birth and his uh, life was foretold beforehand. But we also have outside of the Bible the um, histor historical information about Jesus as well. So that comes from Josephus. Um, he was a historian around the time and uh, a Jew. And we also have uh, a Roman source such as Tacitus. So both of these uh, writers have um, information on, the, um, on Jesus. Now, whilst Josephus mentions um, Jesus, it's, you know, as a person, um, he's not one that, to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, but he's certainly one to acknowledge that Jesus is, existed. So we've got sources both um, divine or from the Bible and then outside the Bible as well. So tonight we want to um, cover these particular subjects, and, and I guess it's a sub, you know, who is Jesus Christ is a subject we could speak about all year, really, but we're going to summarise um, the subject tonight into these little sections. So we'll look at the time and place of his birth, how he was referred to, that is the, the titles he was given. We'll look at the background at the time. So the actual Roman Empire was um, up and flourishing, um, their rule. We'll look at that. We'll look at the upbringing of Jesus. Then we'll cover his work as a preacher and teacher. And then we'll look at his death, burial and his disappearance. I've called it his disappearance because that's what, uh, people thought when they um, uh, when they came to the tomb, um, and we'll talk about his legacy, and then we'll conclude uh, on all of this um, with our thoughts. <clears throat> so the time and place of his birth, and um, this is something that's well documented in uh, in uh, all the records, in all the gospel records, and we believe that Jesus was born between six and four BC. Now the dating for this comes around the fact that we know that Herod the Great was the, <clears throat> the ruler at the time of the birth of Jesus. So it all goes back to um, that, that particular uh, time of, of Herod the Great. And so we know he died somewhere between AD 30 and AD 33. So I don't think it'd be a surprise to anyone that, um, that, that he wasn't born at, you know, zero BC. It wasn't like that at all. Um, it's actually beforehand. So we need to understand that and get that, that right. And we, we obviously have information on, on who was ruling at the time, and we can use that information to also, um, besides Herod, uh, to ascertain the, the dates. Now, the city that um, Jesus was born in was a small town. It was Bethlehem. And, look, I'm, obviously I'm covering information that a lot of us already know, so I don't want to make it sound like we're coming out with some, you know, new, new stuff on, on Jesus. But this is the vital information we need to put together when we're um, talking about his life. So he's born in Bethlehem. Um, that was 10 kilometres south of Jerusalem. 
And the reason why he's born in Bethlehem was that Joseph, uh, who was his foster father, and Mary, who was his actual mother, had gone there for the census. And the census was declared by Caesar Augustus, the, um, the Roman emperor, and they had to go to that town to be um, obviously counted as part of, the, uh, of that original town of Bethlehem. So that would have been <clears throat> Joseph's home, hometown. And they returned um, after that to Nazareth, Nazareth um, up in Galilee, so went north, and that's where they raised Jesus. So Jesus was raised um, up in Galilee but born in, in Bethlehem south of Jerusalem. And we can look at um, quotes like in Matthew 2 and Luke 2, which reference um, this point. So here's a map of um, uh, the Roman provinces at the time. And as we know, the Roman provinces were um, divided up and, and, you know, ruled by different parties that the Romans would appoint. And uh, if you look at the map, um, you'll see Bethlehem down below Jerusalem there. Um, and you'll look north up into Galilee, the Galilee region, and you'll see Nazareth right at the bottom there of, of Galilee. So that's where he grew up as a, as a, uh, with his family. Um, and the area in between was known as Samaria. Um, and on the right of the Jordan, we've got Perea, Decapolis, and um, up, up north was um, uh, Syrophoenicia and uh, some of those towns there. So you'll see some of the towns were obviously um, with, with Roman influence, like Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea was a town um, built by, I think, pretty much Herod the Great had that built. Okay, so how was Jesus referred to? Um, we know him as Jesus. That's the most common uh, name we have for him. That's related to the Hebrew Yehoshua which means Yah saves. So um, we've got probably a more a Greek uh, term when we say Jesus for Yahoshua, which is the Hebrew. Um, it means Yah saves. But we also know that in Matthew 1, he was told that he'd be Emmanuel, and it means God is with us, Emmanuel. Uh, he's also called Christ, which means the anointed one. So with Jesus, it was Jesus Christ or Yah saves, the anointed one. Uh, he's also called Lord or Master over 700 times in the New Testament. He's known as the Son of God. Uh, Gabriel told Mary, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That's in Luke 1. And he's also known as the Son of Man. Jesus called himself this when he questioned his disciples about who people thought he was. So he gave them the base, you know, that I'm, a, I'm obviously a man, but who do people say that I am? And he asked that question of them in Matthew 16. He's also known as the son of David. Um, you know, we just read of that in the speech that Peter gave. This title is both is used both in the books of Matthew and Mark. Um, and you remember even <clears throat> those who were crazy and mentally challenged, um, you know, called him the son of David. Uh, he's also known as the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist and his cousin, the cousin of uh, Jesus, referred to him with that title as the Lamb of God. So there's many amazing titles um, that Jesus had right through um, the New Testament and right through his, his life. And some of these titles, as we know, aggravated the authorities at the time. Uh, they didn't like it. 
especially when he was um, known as son of God and they felt it was uh, blasphemy and they tried to bring that um, that as an accusation towards him uh, at the very end. It's also known as teacher or rabboni or rabbi and reference that's referenced mostly in the book of John. And he's also known as king of the Jews. And we know it was the wise men of the east that came searching for uh, the babe, Jesus, and they referred to him as the king of the Jews. They'd come to see the king of the Jews. That was their, their um, uh, understanding of prophecy, that they were then coming to see him um, from the far east. Now, the Roman Empire. What do we know about the Roman Empire? This is the beautiful thing about the record of Jesus is that there is so much information about the uh, rulers at the time and the information on those rulers then syncs up um, this, this whole thing as being, you know, genuine, that, you know, Jesus did exist and all the records we have are very clearly aligned with, um, with the, the, um, the history of the, the period. So Caesar Augustus, he ruled from 63 BC to 14 AD. Now, he was the first Roman emperor as such. Um, so Jesus was uh, born during that time of the first Roman uh, emperor being in rule. Now, he reigned for 45 years and, um, and was ruling at the time of Christ's birth. And that's confirmed in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. I'm not turning up all these quotes because we'd be here for <clears throat> a couple of hours if we turn up every quote, but... At least they're there with references um, if you're taking notes. Now, the second Roman emperor was Tiberius Caesar Augustus, and he went from AD 14 to 37. So he was the one who was um, ruling during the death um, of Jesus, and he succeeded his stepfather. So his stepfather was Caesar Augustus. Now, Jesus was born in the province of Judea, as we said, um, and that took in the regions of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea but he was raised in uh, Galilee. At the time of his birth, the province and surrounding areas were ruled by Herod the Great. So that was the, the client king. So back then the Romans would um, make sure that what they did was they let the king of the um, people remain as a client king. They had to provide, um, you know, had to honour Rome. They had to pay taxes to Rome. But they felt by having a client king, like a local king, as opposed to one of their own um, ruling, that it would keep the peace and keep order. So that was a very clever strategy from the Romans. And at the time, um, Herod the Great was the, the ruler of this area. And you'll probably know that I think in the works of Josephus, um, Herod the Great receives a lot of um, attention from, from his point of view. So he provides a lot of background on, on Herod the Great and a lot of information about what he um, did and achieved um, in his time. Now, the upbringing of Jesus. So Jesus was born a Jew. He was the son of the Virgin Mary. This is where um, the record is very clear that um, this was a miracle that happened um, where Mary, who was engaged to Joseph, not married to Joseph, had fallen pregnant to God, to God's power. It's called the Holy Spirit in the, in the record. So Mary, um, you know, miraculously conceived 
a boy and the boy was the son of God. So we'll just read this quote now, um, which is from Matthew 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to make uh, to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So that's an allusion to Yah saves um, in his name. So there's the um, record of Matthew confirming that, that Mary um, was not, in fact, giving a child to Joseph. So Joseph was the, uh, the foster father, if you like, but not the biologic, he wasn't biological father to um, Jesus. Yet in all of that, Jesus still honoured um, Joseph as his father and still, um, you know, was a child in that family who respected his parents and did, did the right thing. Um, and Joseph remained with Mary despite um, what he'd thought um, had happened because he was, you know, spoken to. So uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Um, and what happened, because the wise men of the East had come to uh, find Jesus and, uh, and come and asked uh, Herod about where they could find Jesus, um, this became a threat to Herod the Great. So Herod, who was the client king, you know, under the appointment of the Romans, was now being told that one had been born king of the Jews, and that was a direct threat to his own position, his own sovereignty. So his immediate thing was to try and get them to uh, tell him, you know, where this uh, boy was, this babe was. They, of course, went to the Bethlehem. They visited um, Jesus and, and Mary and, and Joseph and, and gave gifts, and they then went on their way. They didn't go back and see Herod. So what Herod did was he uh, decreed that in the area of Bethlehem, um, in that surround, um, every child under two years old, every boy under two years old was to be killed. So there was a, a um, unfortunately, a uh, extermination, I guess, of all these young young fellas, young young babes in that particular area. Now, you know, this is something that people talk about and they say, oh, why isn't this recorded by Josephus? But it's probably considered that Bethlehem was a small town and this was a very small event that happened, you know, in all the great things that Herod did, this was a very small event. So it didn't come up on the radar of a historian to talk about um, the deaths um, that were um, carried out in, in Bethlehem. So I don't think we should stress about it too much. They, they think that there would have been, you know, at the time, very few babies and um, they're only males and Bethlehem was a small, small town at the time. So we don't have any reason to be suspicious about the fact that it's not recorded by Josephus. <coughs> now, what happened was the family were told um, to go to Egypt. Um, they were given that um, in, a, in a vision. They were told to, to escape and to get to Egypt, and they did that. And they were in Egypt till they were told to leave and come back. And the, the reason for them coming back, of course, was that Herod had, had died. 
So when when they came back, they uh, they went to um, to Nazareth. Now, obviously, after he was born, they did go to Jerusalem. We do understand that they went to Jerusalem uh, and carried out the um, you know the circumcision rite um, in Jerusalem. But then they took off to Egypt and remained in Egypt for a time. Now, Jesus um, wasn't the only child in the family. He was the eldest of a number of siblings. Um, So we know that his brothers are named. I don't think we have the names of his sisters, Um, but he did have brothers and sisters. I think there was four brothers from memory. And he became a carpenter. So um, he, like his father, um, worked with wood. And we know that from Mark chapter 6 and from Matthew 13. So he was a carpenter. So he had a trade. Um, he had a job like uh, anyone else. He carried out his job um, for, you know, a lot of his adult life um, uh, under, his, under his father. Now, he was raised to love and respect God and the law of Moses. So they, as a family, would once a year, they would attend Jerusalem, the Passover feast. And they would all travel there from uh, their hometown of Nazareth. And from what we understand, they they would travel with all the people who were travelling to Jerusalem at the time and celebrate the Passover and then then travel back together. And that's confirmed for us in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 51. So Jesus was part of the family and part of um, very much um, into uh, loving God and respecting God and learning about God. So that was very much a part of his, his upbringing. And we're also told he was obedient to his parents. And the last part of Luke chapter 2 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. So he was liked by everybody and he developed into a very mature uh, man um, with a knowledge of, of God and a knowledge of the law. Now, being carpenter at the age of 30, looks like he puts the tools down and says, that's it for me as far as the, um, you know, the, uh, the life of a normal person. And he then begins this brand new phase of his life. At 30, he was now ready to take on the mission and the, um, the goal of what he was born to do. And he, he ventured into this and started work as a preacher. And we're told this in Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. So he puts down the thing, told Dad, I don't know if he was working with Dad at the time or working for himself, whatever he was doing. He puts all the tools down and he says, that's it. I'm now going to um, take a message to um, all the people of, of Israel. So Jesus knew who he was. Now, we have to understand that he knew who he was at a very young age. So we know that when he went to Passover with his family at 12 years old, and this is part of the recording, I think, in Luke 2, um, he had told his parents that the temple was his father's house. And you'll remember that he um, was at the temple after the parents had left to go back to Nazareth. He had remained in the temple and was talking with all the teachers. And from the record, it tells us that he was not only asking them questions, but they would ask him questions back and he would give them um, answers as well and they marvelled at his answers. So there was a very intense and um, uh, fabulous conversation that was going on between 
the teachers and Jesus. And when he was questioned by his parents, because they came back and they, they looked for him and it was after three days that they found him, um, they find him with all these teachers and they must have obviously looked after him over that time. And he says, must you not know that I'd be about my father's business? You know, So he was very much an understanding of who he was. At 12 years old, he knew exactly who he was, which is very interesting. So this would have played in his mind for, for most of his um, you know, life before he'd gone into his mission work. Now, the book of John, which is one of the four records of the life of Jesus, the fourth book, has a quote referring to Jesus as the Messiah. That's in John 1, 41. Now, the Messiah is the one who's spoken of in the history of Israel by the prophets and in the other books as the one who would come to save Israel. So when we look at the Old Testament, it's all about this build-up of the arrival of Jesus, you know, Jesus coming as the Son of God. So we've got all these prophecies and predictions about the Messiah, what he'd be like, what he was going to do you know, what his life would be like, you know, both both good and bad about when I say bad, the, you know, the sufferings of our, of our, of our, of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. So Jesus came as the answer to Old Testament uh, prophecy and, that, and he knew that. So when he spoke, to, uh, you know, about himself, um, you know, when he first went to the synagogue, um, he read from Isaiah and he knew that he was the Messiah, that he answered to um, the, the old prophecies. Now, Jesus' birth, as foretold to Joseph in a vision, was for the purpose of saving his people from their sins. And we read that um, tonight as well in the Acts 2. So Mary was also told that she would give birth to the Son of God for the purpose of being ruler over a kingdom that would last forever. So both Joseph and Mary separately were given information about this baby that was arriving. And the information was filling the picture of what he was going to do. He was going to save people and he was going to be a ruler over a kingdom that would last forever. This is amazing information and information that they both retained and understood. Well, they probably didn't quite understand it um, in the way that we now understand it, but at the time they did retain this information in their minds that, that the son of that Jesus was the son of God. So being the son of God, of course, Jesus had at his disposal the power to do things beyond um, what we do, you know, have in our own uh, capabilities. So beyond the forces of nature. Now he used this power and he was very, very careful with it that he only did uh, positive things, I guess, for people in need. And these Things he did were called miracles. They were or called signs. And they were obviously to show that God was with him, to show that God's power was behind what he was doing. But he was very, very, it's very important to understand that Jesus never compromised the capacity that he had to do things um, to, uh, to ever uh, perform a miracle that was, you know, selfish or that had no uh, purpose. So some of the examples, and there's plenty of miracles obviously recorded um, that Jesus did, but some of the examples were the turning of water into wine that's recorded in the book of John, uh, the raising of the dead. We know, you know, he raised his friend Lazarus. Uh, there are other resurrections as well. Uh, he fed thousands with a small amount of food. Um, so there was, you know, two occasions that are recorded of, of him speaking to the masses and then feeding them with a, a tiny amount of 
you know, like a lunchbox supply of food. Um, healed blindness, paralysis, sickness. He walked on water. He calmed a storm. There's plenty of miracles that we have recorded um, that Jesus did. And they're all part of his um, message that he was delivering about that change is possible. There is change. There is good that is possible um, from God. And God wants everyone to be whole. He wants everyone to be well. He wants everyone to be um, healthy. He wants them to be happy. But um, to do that, it requires some interference, I guess, with the way the world is and the way the world is going and the way in which we are unfortunately victims of um, the corruption and the and the, the forces in the world that unfortunately are all um, directed towards um, decay and death. Now, we know that he um, uh, he's a miracle that he did, um, and this is from Luke chapter 4. He arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick and various with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And there's many records like that through the life of um, Jesus and the gospel records that talk about the great things um, that he did. But here you see he took away um, the mother-in-law's fever and she was immediately able to um, <laughs> go about serving them. So that was uh, terrific. Now, as we said, all of the miracles that Jesus did were for a purpose they were signs that God was with him and he never abused that power. So it's very important to understand that. And when we analyse the life of Jesus, it is important to see that he was very pure and very um, honourable to God in that, in that respect with the power that he was given. So he never used that power as a showman, even when he was requested to do that, he didn't do that. And he didn't use the power for any personal or materialistic gain. So he had a very, very um, uh, uh, humble life that he, um, that he lived and it didn't involve him abusing this power that he had from God. And it's very important to understand that because if this was, um, you know, a lot of other cases where people um, uh, try to show, I guess, um, that the power that they've got or the, thing, the abilities and magic they can do, is um, something that shows they come from God. And, and obviously these are false type people and they're only out for their own gain and for their own, um, uh, um, you know, for their own pride and for their own personal satisfaction. So Jesus was careful and the, and the um, apostles were careful, you know, the disciples of Jesus were careful to um, be never to abuse the power that was given to them. Now, this message. So we've got this thing where the, you know, Jesus only had three and a half years of interaction with the people before he was taken out by the Romans. So we've got this person with a, a spotlight on him of three and a half years, and that's most of what we read in the gospel records, the three and a half years of his uh, ministry. And what he did was he took a message to all the towns and all of Israel. Um, so he would travel by, by foot with his um, followers and he'd take this message to them, and this message was known as the good news. And what it involved 
was him telling people to follow him and to believe in a kingdom which was to come that he was announcing. So this was the good news he was taking everywhere and accompanying that good news was the, um, the works and the miracles he was doing to show that God was with him. So he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. There's many, many quotes about, about this. Now, what happened was people would follow Jesus. So he would end up with these followers. With, you know, they might follow for a period of time and for, you know, for a part of his journey, and then they might trail off again. Um, but many people followed him, and these people were known as his disciples. Now, what Jesus did was he specifically chose 12 men, and um, that's recorded for us in, in a few of the records. And those, those men followed him. And what Jesus was going to do was train those men to keep working after he had finished this ministry. That was his purpose. He had to, he had to induct these, these men into this message and this um, uh, purpose of taking the, the, uh, the gospel message to the people. And they would go from, um, you know, both within Israel and outside Israel, taking the message that Jesus had delivered. So, um, and these were 12 ordinary men, you know, some were fishermen. Um, here's an example at the bottom of the, the screen. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And that's in Luke 5. So um, there's an example of, of a person immediately responding to the call of Jesus. Now, the main method that Jesus used in his teachings was telling parables. I think there's a minimum of about 30 uh, parables that we have um, in the um, records, gospel records. And these were stories that had a lesson. Most were based on um, what they observed around them in their environments. Um, so he'd, he'd talk about, um, you know, wineskins and he'd talk about um, finding a treasure in a field and, and, finding, and farming and, and vineyards and all sorts of things. Um, so he had all these, these parables he'd throw out there. And the idea was to get people to listen to the story, understand the simple message in the story, and then convert that to a spiritual message um, in order for them to um, take heed in their life and prepare for this kingdom which Jesus spoke about. So a lot of the parables started off with um, Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, so they required thinking. They required, they required interpretation. Now here's a parable at the bottom of the slide. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So there is a, a parable. It's got two builders in it. It's got one, obviously, who's um, very careful about his foundations and the other one who doesn't care about the foundations. And one house remains and the other house is destroyed. And Jesus says, if you listen to me um, and take heed and do what I say, that's like building a house on a rock. It's going to stand forever. So the whole idea of standing forever is um, associated with uh, being a, is listening to Jesus and responding and embracing what Jesus has told us to do. 
And if we don't do that, then we're going to end up with a house that's destroyed and, and nowhere to go. So very simple parable. Um, and there's plenty of them which uh, carry um, similar messages. Now, the teaching of Jesus was very challenging. He called his followers to um, very high moral standards. So you'll know he even spoke about the way we think, you know, what we think in our minds, what we've got in our heart. Um, but he challenged all the current um, religions at the time. There were authorities like the Pharisees and Jesus was very um, not backward in pointing out the problems amongst the, um, the religious leaders and that they had let the, um, uh, their own pride get in the way of um, helping the people. They had corrupted the word of God. They had added tradition to it. And Jesus made it clear that that was not on, that um, they had changed um, the law of Moses into a very, very um, sad, um, you know, version of, of um, you know, doing and receiving rewards for doing, um, which is the Judaistic <clears throat> um, version of, of the law. But Jesus was delivering God's message, God's teachings, and not a philosophy. We have to be very clear on that. He was delivering a very real message, a message which stands true from um, Genesis. It goes back all the way to Genesis. So uh, Jesus' words and his, um, uh, uh, you know, talking about the kingdom was all in response to um, what Jesus, what God had already taught prior within the law and and to the prophets and to, um, you know, the, the kings like David. So much of his message we find was compressed into one speech. So when you look at this big speech that was given on the um, uh, Mount Olivet, uh, Mount of Olives, sorry, um, known as the Sermon on the Mount, that's in Matthew five to seven, we can we can see much of what Jesus taught is compressed into that speech. It's a great speech, and it really covers everything that Jesus wanted everyone to know. It's often called the policies of um, God's kingdom the policy speech of God's kingdom. Okay, so Jesus had a very humble existence. He had no possessions. He had no home. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have children. His mission was his whole life. Um, that He made um, what he was doing for God was his whole purpose. Not only that, but he mixed with common people, the poor, those who were neglected by the religious leaders at the time. He did no wrong. He was totally obedient to his father throughout his whole life. There's no sins recorded at all in the life of Jesus. His main message was that God wanted to save man from sin and death. God was offering eternal life, but they had to listen to his son, Jesus, to get that. They had to believe what he said, they had to follow him, they had to be baptised. So Jesus took that message to as many places as he could in that three and a half years. He revisited places and he sought converts from Judaism to Christianity. That's what he was doing, trying to get the people to see that there is a true way of serving God and it wasn't according to um, how the, the Pharisees were living and the, the religious leaders at the time. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then in Mark 16 we read, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So you see the message that Jesus was delivering is all about salvation from God. But unlike us, Jesus never sinned. He lived this perfect life. He was tempted to do sin, 
just like we are, but being God's son, he had the strength to resist the impulse to sin that was in his character. Jesus was perfectly righteous without sin. And since he was a man like us, he did have that impulse. He had that, that nature that could sin, but he never gave in to that impulse. And as a mortal man, he still died. Um, he still died at the hands of the Romans. That's If we look at Roman, uh, Matthew, chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, we see that there, there was a test um, that Jesus was put through to be tempted in three ways, but he never gave in to temptation during that time. Now, Jesus was betrayed. This is now coming toward, we're coming towards the end. Jesus was betrayed by one of his 12 disciples, Judas, and he was sent to trial before a number of people in authority. Now, Jesus was put before six trials before he was put to death. Now, the first trial was before Annas, who was a former high priest, but very well respected amongst the the Jews. Um, Then he was put on trial to Annas's um, uh, son-in-law, Caiaphas, who was the current high priest. Then he was put on trial before the Sanhedrin, which was all the religious leaders of the time. And then the Jews... Um, who really, this was all a farce because they didn't know what they were doing. They were having false witnesses and everything. They then took him to the Romans. So they took him to Pontius Pilate, who was the governor at the time, and um, he was the first Roman to try Jesus. He couldn't find anything that the guy was guilty of, that Jesus was guilty of. So he then sent him to Herod. Um, Herod sort of gave him a bit of a, a beating, and then sent him back to Pontius Pilate again. And that was the final trial, the sixth trial um, that Jesus underwent before he was um, crucified. That was in Luke 23. So all the trials were fast. With you know, Jesus didn't even respond to a lot of the questions that were asked of him, and they were held without any justice being uh, practiced. But Jesus was condemned to death by the council of the Jewish religious leaders. They were jealous of him. They were very um, mindful that he had become popular with the people, um, but they didn't understand that they were only playing a part in God's plan anyway. It was always going to happen. But they asked for Pontius Pilate to have Jesus crucified. Now, crucifixion was the Roman method of execution for common criminals. So he was going to be given a common um, execution um, that was done by the Romans, and they would be put on a post, nailed to a post, and left to die. Now, sometimes that post had a crossbar, and that's why We call it the cross. We don't know if Jesus had a crossbar or not. We know he was hanged on a tree, um, but we know he's nailed to that post through his hands and his feet and left there hanging until he died. Now, Pilate had a sign written above him, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That was affixed above him. And um, uh, the Romans had whipped Jesus and sent him to be crucified. They put a crown of thorns on him. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. They, you know, parted um, they took his clothes and, and parted them out. They beat him. They taunt him before taking him to a place called Golgotha, where he was crucified. Now, he died on the cross on that day. And then uh, Joseph of Arimathea went and asked Pilate whether he could remove the body from the cross, because normally the body was left there. He asked if he could remove the body and bury him in a tomb. That's what he did. And the uh, chief Jewish priest asked Pilate for the tomb to be secured. And they asked for seals to go on that tomb, on the covering of the tomb, so that they could ensure that that body would never um, be removed from that that tomb. 
Now, Jesus, Jesus was in the tomb for three days and then some women came to embalm him. That's recorded in Matthew 28. We're running out of time, so I won't, I won't read that. But they came and, of course, um, they didn't find him there. He was, he was gone and they were told that they could see where he did lay. Now, this was something that happened while um, the tomb was still enclosed, that Jesus um, left that tomb while it was still enclosed. So just like Jesus had raised people from the dead during his ministry, God did exactly the same for Jesus. He raised them from the dead because he was 100% obedient to his father. He did no sin. Um, and we know that from Acts 2 and 1 Peter. Jesus appeared to his disciples and friends after coming back to life, and we know he spent uh, 40 days with them. He spoke to them about the kingdom for those 40 days, and he instructed them that they were to take his message and to keep spreading it um, throughout the then known um, world. But then Jesus ascended before them. He, In front of their eyes, he ascended up to heaven and disappeared. And they were told by um, angels, they were told that Jesus would return in the same way, that he would come back to them in the same way. But Jesus, um, as we know um, from the record, uh, went to heaven because he was to be a mediator between God and mankind and to be a mediator for those who've taken on Jesus's name. And so it is that the Christian faith um, began from this time. Uh, Jesus' disciples, including a new one, which was Matthias, because one of the disciples, as we know, committed suicide um, after betraying Jesus. So Matthias took over from him. These disciples went on to teach and preach the message of being saved from death by believing in Jesus in the kingdom which is to come. Now, since then, Christianity has grown to be the number one faith in the world. It dominates the world. There is no greater um, religion than, than Christianity. Despite what people might think and say, the numbers tell the story. So people today are still turning to Jesus as their saviour in our modern era and they're still hearing the gospel and embracing the gospel and embracing um, the message of salvation. So Jesus lived on the earth 2,000 years ago. He only had that spotlight on him for three and a half years. So I want you to think about this. In our entire history, there were three and a half years where Jesus took a message to the world, to the surrounding world you know, that he lived in, before being killed by the Romans. And yet in that three and a half years and what he did, what he achieved at the end uh, with God, He's the most influential person that has ever been on this earth. There's no one with a stronger influence um, than Jesus Christ. That's something to really think about, the power of, of this man's life, his death and his resurrection. And so after um, uh, in um, Jerusalem, after uh, Ascension, Peter, a disciple of Jesus, gave a speech about Jesus Christ and he told the people who were interested Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So he aligned the acceptance of Jesus with having your sins um, forgiven. And that's an important thing to understand, that if we want to have our sins forgiven, that's how it happens, through, through Jesus Christ. And Jesus spoke of his return to the earth during his ministry. He said, this is in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another. He speaks about these two groups of people, but he says to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So Jesus had his first coming 2,000 years ago, and he speaks of a second coming where he will then institute God's kingdom and put people in it that have um, honoured him and have respected him and followed him. So that's the important thing to take away from um, the understanding of the life of Jesus. That's it. Thank you.